Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chocolate Bros podcast. With, welcome everybody. We're the bros. Yeah, with Brian Horsley and Adam Pearson. We, along with one other partner, Dan, my dad, um, are partners and owners of Fortunato Chocolate. Check us out at fortunatochocolate.com. Unfortunately, it's July and your state is probably blacklisted from where we can ship to because of heat, but still check it out. And may actually be on fire at this moment. If so, we're very sorry that that's happening to you. But when it cools off, look us up, get some chocolate. Where are all the fires happening? Mostly in what? I know California for sure, but where else? Washington and Oregon both have fires going. I, there's probably an active fire in every state, but um, typically the West, we're in a super drought out here and um, it's, it's having its deleterious effects on the fire situation. So on a, bad, bad deal. On our last podcast, you used the word obstreperous. I did. And, and now deleterious. We get it. You're smart, Brian. <laughs> I don't actually think there's a direct line between vocabulary and smartness. As you say, it's probably it's probably more like me being a smart aleck. So I apologize. Obstreperous, you think, was being a smart aleck? To me, that's just like a smart person word. <laughs> well, I've been accused of being smart, and also I've been accused of being <laughs> dumb. So I don't know if I'm smart or dumb, but I, sometimes I say words like that. And a smart aleck, as well. I doubt I doubt I plead guilty to. Um, speaking of, so one thing about fire, I'll say this, I, we promised the listeners on our last episode that we were going to get into some, some hilarious Turkey stories. So we, <laughs> we, we can't let them down. Aren't they all though? I mean, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be pretty wild if we got into some really mediocre, non-funny Turkey stories. I've never had a time where I've been around a Turkey where I didn't, I didn't laugh uproariously. Absolutely. It's the, I mean, that's it's built in. Let me say this about fire. Um, so one, one thing is just today, driving into the office here, I drove by a, a restaurant that the whole top part of it is burnt off. I'm you know, aware of the restaurant you're speaking of. Yes. A little breakfast restaurant right around here. Mm-hmm. I guess someone left on the stove at night, one of the cooks and it burnt that just burnt up the restaurant. That's, that's my understanding of what happened. I was also speaking with, um, with a, with a coworker somebody left a candle lit in the house and they burnt a house in the, um, in the house. It was, I guess it was a friend of hers Oof. and burnt the house down. So no matter what techno, whatever technology we have, like the way we're trans we're transmitting this mm-hmm. audio over the internet, humans will never solve the dangers that exist in the physical <laughs> world. Like it's not yeah. ever going to be solved. Do you agree yeah, with that? I agree. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, you know, the more things get complicated, the simpler they stay in some ways. Um, and there's no doubt that just any cut open flame, a spark, anything combustible and boom, up you go. And then the, the natural, you know, wildfires, the, the natural cycle, we're relatively powerless to affect that. The forests must burn. They will burn. It's inevitable that they shall burn. Um, the only thing that we can affect is uh, how, how, how intensely they burn when they do. And I, th- I think I read somewhere that the uh, like human longevity at this point is also plateaued. So the new technology is not really making people live longer. So I wonder if that's going to hold true, but I, w- I wonder, 
I, me too. And we shouldn't get off on another philosophical. Yeah. Sorry. Land, but, All right. You're right. So we got to stay on track with the turkey, <laughs> with the turkey stuff. <laughs> let's talk turkey. Let's talk All cacao. Right. These people are tuning in because we're a chocolate company. Right. I want to know about cacao and I, chocolate. That's right. So, and we, we forgot we're brothers. And when we get together, we just talk about anything. So, yeah. All right. Let's stay, let's stay on topic here. Let me just say, we're going to talk about the turkey stuff. And then we really want to get into talking about our first, uh, actually, we're going to talk about all of the different cacao processing facilities that we've built. Right. All right. But first, go ahead. You promised us two hilarious turkey stories. So now it's okay. time to I, sh show and prove. I told a story about the first turkey, my first turkey run in. This is a story about it wasn't my run in with the turkey. This is when we were just putting together our, our cacao project. So I was making a tour in the jungle of the various um cacao growers associations and sitting down and having meetings with people, uh, not meetings, just sitting down and talking to them about cacao, about what they would like to see out of a, of a project. If a, uh, if a foreign company came in and, and tried to invest a little in cacao in the area. And I found myself sitting down with a, a, a small group of farmers at a farmhouse in a valley, uh, not far from where we ended up setting up our facility. And it was me and probably 10 people sitting around on the type of chairs that they have around there, which are made of rebar with, um, with kind of this elastic plastic strung between the rebars to, to create a chair. And we're sitting around and I'd been offered uh, food and ate lunch with them. And we were talking and um, had some Peruvian soda pop going. And it's very common in Peruvian farmhouses for animals to come walking in and out. Dogs, cats, guinea pigs, chickens, uh, things like that. <clears throat> in this particular farmhouse, as we were sitting there meeting, a group of turkeys came walking in, led by a big Tom. I mean, a great big Tom. This thing, I don't know what he weighed, but he had uh, these waddles, these blue, bright blue, bulbous kind of waddles hanging down. And he was very upright and he kind of did was doing the turkey walk with his head back. I guess you, you, you're, I'm doing the thing in my office here. You can't see it, but, um, and he was, I'd say that I was sitting on a chair and his face was level with my face. It was big, tall Tom Turkey and his neck was absolutely straight blue, bright blue. Um, and about maybe two inches thick and it looked as strong as a tree. And as he came in, the wife of the gentleman who's uh, uh, the lady of the house, the wife of the gentleman who was the president of the Cacao Association, came over and started to shoo the turkey away. And she came over and said, cha, 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 started yelling at him. And the turkey, it was clear to me that there was a long running relationship between the turkey and this lady. Did and this turkey belong to the lady? Or yeah, yeah. The, 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 okay, the, the, tur right. the turkey lived there. He was the Tom and he was responsible for the, 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 the continuation of the turkey production in that, in that house. And the turkey, as soon as she started yelling at him, the turkey kind of stood up <laughs> straighter and leaned back a little bit. And he got a very kind of aggrieved, dignified look on his face uh, as if to say, I, you know, I belong here as well as you do. And he sort of started looking aggrieved and the lady came over and kind of fainted towards him as if to say, I'm going to, I'm going to smack you. And the Turkey was like, the Turkey seemed to be implying with his body language. Like I, I'm not moving. I'm, I deserve to be in this room. This is a conversation that I need to be a part of. And finally the woman, after making a couple, like three or four, showing him that she was going to kind of smack him. She took her hand and leaned back and slapped this turkey 
And the, right. turkey, the turkey didn't try to dodge it. It the just turkey, stood there. So the lady reared her hand back and slapped the side of this. Tur- I was shocked. I couldn't believe no one else even was even noticing this whole drama. <laughs> going on. The turkey, the turkey's head and neck did not move. Not one sixteenth of an inch. The turkey's neck must have been as strong as an oak root. It <laughs> did not move. But the turkey kind of ruffled and fluffed when she did it and looked at her. He looked at her balefully. I mean, he looked at her as if to say, I'm more disappointed than upset. <laughs> or hurt. <laughs> and I'm more I, disappointed than hurt. <laughs> and I knew in that moment I was watching a domestic drama play out that had played out hundreds, if not thousands of times before. And that these two had a relationship that had gone back some time and would go forward for some time. Uh, and, and at some level, I think they were both enjoying it. But for me, it was revelatory because it, that turkey was kind of part of the family. Um, so allow me to add, let, let me just yeah. interject with what, you know, that's a hilarious story. Yeah. Um, let me just interject with one philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Is it animal cruelty to slap a turkey like that? Or is that just uh, part, part for the course when you got a Tom and you're out in the jungle and that guy keeps running up in your conversations and like coming dist- into the meeting. Dist- disturbing your guests? I, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't in favor of her smacking the turkey. The turkey didn't seem to mind. The turkey just sort of in a very dignified fashion sort of slowly turned around as if to make the point that you're not rushing me. Uh, and I'm leaving of my own accord, but thank you. I wonder- and just very softly and slowly and dignified sort of wandered out the door as you know, as he was not in a hurry. Um, I wonder if the other, you know, the other, tur- I wonder if the other turkeys in the flock think less of him for getting slapped or if they think more of him for the way that he, he, he comported himself. I, I like to think that they, you know, they're looking for dignified leadership and I think they thought that he handled it pretty well. Yeah. It sounds like, it's, you know, it's not like he has arms or anything to block himself. So no, no, they certainly followed him out as if you know, they, 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 they didn't stick around. They yeah. didn't take the lady's side. They the said, minute. we're with him. We're with him and we're sticking yeah. right with him. So that was my second. Funny oh, one other, one other question. Can you imagine any scenario under which you would find yourself slapping a turkey in that way? I mean, I don't feel like I have anything against any turkey enough to, although now I'm thinking back to the first story I told, had that turkey presented himself for a slap, <laughs> I think I might have, I might have given one upside the head. Yes, uh, I was upset with that. Turkey. So, the, so you can't imagine yourself slapping. Yes, a I can't. I can't. Good. All right, let's go on to story number two. That's a funny story. <laughs> well, story number well, two. Turkeys are funny. Turkeys Turkey, are funny yeah. animals. I, I'm sorry. Turkeys are hilarious. Turkeys are 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 both real smart and also frightfully dumb. Are they smart? I think sometimes they are. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. So here's the story. But the final story you've written about this. This is the this is the Dombecho turkey. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. You wrote a little bit about it. So yeah, our our crew uh, and I were up um, on a harvest day. And we all were zipping around on motorcycles, um, some of us solo and a couple of us two up. And um, we were going down a dirt road. We had harvested further out, but we were passing uh, an area called Tapara where uh, Don Becho, who's a character in his own right, uh, lives. And as we were passing Don Becho's house, uh, one of us, one of his turkeys, a group of his turkeys ran out right in front of, you know, five speeding motorcycles. And one of them actually got hit. We tried to avoid the turkeys, but one of those turkeys got hit and unfortunately did not make it. And Don Becho came out and Don Becho has a reputation for being a little bit cheap. The joke is that if you, if you put a, a lump of coal in a certain part of his anatomy, it would come out a diamond in very short order. Uh-huh. Um, so is that, the real, came, is that the real joke in Campo? Because that's like an American joke as well. 
It, yeah, well, there's it's it's not quite that, but it's it's that that's the gist of it. All right, gotcha. um, yeah, and Don Becho is a great guy, funny guy, quirky fellow, but he came out and proceeded to. This is a good friend of mine. He came out and proceeded to berate me for the. <laughs> <laughs> the death of his turkey and we said don't betcho the turkey ran in front of our motorcycles we're not responsible he said oh yes you certainly are responsible <laughs> so we proceeded to have a marathon of a, a sort of a a set of recriminations he was talking about how recklessly we were riding, but and we were just riding our motorcycles on the road it's a road and he came out and started recriminating against us and saying how the and the upshot is in campo if you for any reason kill an, a farm animal that has wandered onto the road you are liable no matter who no matter what the animal is at fault you're liable for so that so animals always have the right of way well it's just the way it works everybody yeah, yeah. if you if you if you hurt or kill an animal you have to pay so we had to come to an agreement with don becho and he started at the gringo pricing structure <laughs> he elevated the price but i was with you know six guys that were from there and they all said, no, 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 Don Becho, that's not a fair price. And finally, we got him down to what was a fair price. And so I paid him out in cash and uh, we shook hands and he laughed and gave me a hug and said, all right, I'm sorry for everything I said, Gringo Brian. And then he went and collected the turkey and started walking into his house. And we said, whoa, whoa, whoa Don Becho, where are you going with our turkey? He said, what do you mean your turkey? I said, I just bought that turkey. <laughs> he said, what, 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 what could you possibly want with a turkey? And I, I had six hungry guys standing around me. And I said, what would you do, Dobecho, with if you had a, if you had a yeah, turkey? What, you, what are you going to do with it right now? <laughs> what are you going to do with it? He said, well, it's my turkey. I, was I said, it was your turkey right up until I paid you that money. Now it's our turkey. So he grudgingly and kind of in, with a weird sense of disbelief, Handed the turkey over. We put it in a bag, lashed it to the back of a motorcycle, took it down and had turkey dinner that night. Uh, unexpected, rather expensive, but nonetheless, pretty good, pretty delicious. Well, turkey. turkey. Yeah, turkey. Yeah. What, what is the deal with, if I could do a little Jerry Seinfeld impression here, what is the deal with animals running out in front of vehicles? I don't. How? Aren't it. they scared of a thing that's I mean, coming just, full speed? trying to get where they need to go i guess and they're they just, can't they can't wait a second they can't gauge the fact that this thing is moving fast i don't they, think they have the great distance vision i don't think turkeys have a high distance acuity in their vision i don't think they ever saw it coming because yeah. i remember i ran over a squirrel once mm -hmm. and the squirrel's standing right in the road and i'm driving at it and i think surely this squirrel is going to move had a pretty long runway when it could have just moved right on out of the way and it didn't move hmm. it just let me run it over and i know deers tend to jump right out right out in front of cars mm -hmm. how come animals can't avoid jumping out in front of really dangerous moving objects in that way it's a, it's a great question uh i don't have the answer but we should probably book a, a you know some sort of animal behavioralist on the show to get, I, I get to the root of these questions i i, I think we better because yeah. That's vexing to me that turkeys would run right out. There's there's six of you. It was vexing to that turkey, I can tell you that. And don't bet you seem vexed too. And one other thing that I don't appreciate is uh, being a gringo in a foreign country like in Peru. How shamelessly they will charge you a different price. Oh, boy. I'm I'm just gonna tell a quick story about this because mm. I got revenge on somebody doing that to me once. Mm -hmm. So when I first was in Cajamarca, Peru, I had uh, you know out in the plaza out in the main square in town, they got a bunch of people out there shining shoes. And every time you walk yep. through there, a bunch of people start 
start catcalling you. <laughs> they, 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 it's a it's a swarm of Shushan. Yeah, yeah. My first Always day there. No my first day there, some guy took advantage of me, charged me like five solace. Just just raked me. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So then I got together and I said, uh, "Hey, look, I got my shoe shine." And someone said, "What'd you pay?" I said, five solas." He says, "One soul. You should only paid one soul, <laughs> not five soul. What are you paid five solas? What are you crazy?" <laughs> <laughs> so this guy just just shamelessly took advantage of me. Mm-hmm. But here's where I got my revenge. The next time I walked through there, I walked over to the where there was a big group, and I just kind of asked the group, "I'm like, how much to get my shoe shine?" And, um, and, and everybody started yelling out like two solas, three solas. And I said, who wants to do it for one soul? <laughs> and then finally they came around and I gave my business to one of the honest guys. Uh-huh. So, tricked him, tricked him. Absolutely. Well, he deserved it. And yes, I've had a million instances of gringo pricing, um, in, in Peru. And sometimes it's done in such a, such a wry and funny way that I would actually pay it if it was a low stakes transaction. Um, and the person, you know, they could use the money uh, when you're talking about a, a few solas. But most of the time on principle, I bargained as hard as possible. And Peruvians are not a hard bargaining uh, culture, but I bargained because I, I felt like it was my moral responsibility for the other gringos. They don't, they don't put any stickers or anything on any of their stuff. Everything mm-hmm. is a verbally communicated price in all instances, mm-hmm. like in the, in the market. Yeah, you imagine, well, like if you go to the supermarket, you just buy a big bottle of water and you take it up there the guy looks at it, he's like um for you uh that's true that's very funny the, uh, yeah. the other thing about peruvian pricing is that when you're dealing with a contractor like a plumber or a metal worker or something like that it's very common for that person it's very sly in its own way it's very common for that person to not name a price and if you don't set a price at the beginning uh, that they, when they finish the work, when you ask them how much, they'll basically say, well, what do you think it's worth? <laughs> and they put it right back on you, which is a very weird way, but it makes it, I think you probably, and if you're a conscientious person, you probably end up paying more when they do that, uh, rather than really trying to work them down on price. Um, it's a, it's a sort of a sly negotiation strategy that they do. And I feel so strange about negotiating prices. When we go to Peru, I let my wife buy everything because, you know, Neri's Peruvian. I don't, I don't buy, she negotiates everything. It's really makes me feel uncomfortable to negotiate right. and, and, and on she, like a, like mm-hmm. on like a bottle of olive oil or something where we're supposed <laughs> to have a back and forth about this. I'll just pay whatever it is. Right. And, she, and, and, and my wife is proving as well. They, they have no compunction about working people yeah. down on price. So, no. Oh, uh, $4. No. How about $3? <laughs> Yeah. So I've definitely had some instances of gringo pricing where my whole negotiation strategy was to laugh at them until they named a price that wasn't laughable. Well, a pair of socks. What do you want? Two dollars? No, I'll give you 50 cents. (laughs) At least meet in the middle on a pair of socks. Mm -hmm. All right. So, Brian, we got a little off track. So let's start with the very first cacao processing facility that you built. The first cacao. Yes. where, Where were we? How did it come about? This was in high-end Peru. Uh, we had been there um, uh, talking to cacao farmers and, and associations of cacao farmers and their, their uh, presidents and trying to figure out a model that would be beneficial and desirous for the local people there, for the farmers, and that also made financial sense uh, for us and would lead to a great product getting uh, being exported out. So we... We're in that process and we knew that we needed to start working with the beans and try to figure out how well and how they fermented and how to dry them and just how to work with the beans. 
So the very first uh, uh, plant that we put together was actually, this was plant zero, not even plant one, was just a kind of a mobile plant at the uh, germplasm bank there in Hyann, where they gave us a little bit of space just outside one of their parking bays. Could I ask a quick question, Brian? Yeah. Were you into chocolate at this point? No. Did, did, did you dislike it? Did you like it? What were your feelings on chocolate at this point as you built this cacao processing facility? enjoyed the occasional Hershey bar like most Americans. I wasn't a fine chocolate connoisseur. I was not knowledgeable. I didn't know anything about the process of how to make cacao into chocolate. Had the post-harvest process. Once we got had some interest in this, I started to educate myself on cacao, the history of it and how to process it. And this was my first whack at it. So no, I, I consider myself highly educable and uh, I started to educate myself on cacao when it looked like we were gonna do a project. All right, so, you're just, before then. so no. you're just building this cacao processing facility. You really don't, don't know very much about what you're doing at all, but you're in high end which is this, what, how many people in high end? Uh, about a hundred thousand. It's a, it's a, right. it's a so it's a good, it's a good size. It's, it's a decent a, size little, little city. It's a mid, it's a mid-sized uh, provincial capital whose whole existence is to move agricultural products from the farming areas around there out to the world markets. All right. So, and who, where were you setting? You were setting this up so a, they have a, a, outside they of a have, government facility? That's right. Outside a government facility, which was a germplasm <laughs> bank or, or genetic repository for cacao. And they had a little uh, uh, storage area where they kept a couple of vehicles, farm vehicles. And they gave me a little space outside uh, one of why, those. Why did they give caves. you a space? Uh, because they were interested in the, the, the local agricultural office or the state agricultural office ran that germplasm bank. And they were interested in a foreign, in a company coming in and investing in the cacao sector. So they were trying to help us out. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So we, I had visited some, some working cacao uh, production facilities and I saw the basic design and layout. I went online and got designs. Um, and um, so we just built, uh, I enlisted a local carpenter. And he built a couple fermenter boxes and we used a, uh, a portable dryer design that we uh, had seen in use in Hawaii and, um, and saw designs for it online. And um, we just bought some cacao from a farmer not far from there, and, which is a whole nother, uh, whole nother drama, whole nother story, uh, how we got those beans and how we got them there. Uh, and then we brought it back to the facility and tried to ferment and, and, and dry them. Uh, and that was sort of facility zero, where we were trying to see if we could did even wanted to invest the money to build an actual facility, and that would be facility one. And uh, we ended up building facility one, of course. But just one funny note from that first, from that very very first try, we had no idea what was going to happen. And when we dumped the beans in, they're surrounded by a white mucusy sort of gel, and there's a high water content in that. And as you put them in the box the water starts to slough out of that and the, the pressure being in the box kind of squeezes the water out. And that stuff is called miel de cacao, cacao honey. And or nectar, or nectar. Or nectar, know. cacao yeah. nectar, right. And it's d- amazingly delicious. It's the, it's the most delicious thing. But I didn't know anything about that at the time. So we saw this stuff coming out and I actually kind of put my finger in it on the side of the box. The box was made of wood out of uh, laurel wood. And uh, I kind of, and I, and I taste a little bit. And I thought, oh my goodness. You want to know, so that- Absolutely delicious. Hey, 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 that, what you just described, totally makes me think of a caveman. Mm-hmm. Totally mm-hmm. like a, like, you put, you don't know what to expect. You put your finger in there 
and it could it might poison you <laughs> or it could yes. be the most delicious thing you ever tasted and i was i'm sure at the time i was kind of squatting down and looking at it quizzically <laughs> like a caveman would yeah that's yeah. absolutely correct i was smelling it and uh, uh, trying to figure out should i taste it or should i not mm-hmm. No, but I it, it, I looked it up and I did a little research and, and sure enough, you know, this stuff is known. So I, I tried a little bit and it was absolutely can delicious. I, can I make a more quick comment here, Brian? Yeah. Sorry to cut in on you, but I like, I, and uh, this this could be considered a philosophical tangent, so I'm sorry, but I'm not, I won't I won't let it be a long tangent, but it's it's interesting to me that there's this thing that is super delicious. Right. Is there anything more refreshing and more delicious than this, than this meal de cacao? I mean, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's It's absolutely amazing. I mean, it's the best and it just occurs in nature and it's just the most delicious thing. Well, and even though it occurs, it's almost impossible. Even people that have worked in cacao a long time have never drank it because you have to set up a special system to enable yourself to collect it. Yeah, great point. So I always just find it so and there's a million examples of stuff like this in the world, but I always find it so interesting that there is all this super delicious stuff in the world that a super, super small percentage of the world's population has ever tried or ever will try. Yeah. Because no, it's localized. You can't right. really transport this stuff. No. And like you said, you got to be fermenting cacao in order to really get the thing that you're talking about. That, but even people that have cacao processing right. facilities don't necessarily capture this. A lot of the time it just runs off from the ground. Good, good point. Is, which is what was happening there. And I realized that. And so flash cut to me there. So a puddle of this stuff was forming. <laughs> so you got, down to the ground, you got down to the ground. Speaking of cavemen, I was actually acting as a cave dog at a little bit there. Cause I actually did. Yes. I actually drank a little of this cacao nectar right off the ground. Not just me, Miguel, your brother-in-law. Yeah. yeah they're yeah. working with me. My at brother, my brother-in-law, my wife's youngest brother. So my wife's got four brothers, three older, one younger. She's the only girl in the family. And yeah, her younger brother was our first employee. That's right. He came to, he came to Hyann and stayed with me for a few months working on our project. Yep. And uh, he and I got down and uh, sort of <laughs> sort of slapped <laughs> a little bit of this stuff up, trying not to let our tongues come in contact with the concrete. This uh, is real direct trade, dude. Find me, <laughs> find me another chocolate company <laughs> that has lapped up nail cacao on all fours off the ground. With I don't know. I don't know anybody else that dedicated, that devoted. So yeah. that so that led to plant number one, which was in a rented space, which had formerly been uh, like a, a car park, a place to park cars down in a sort of an industrial part of Hyann. We came in and cleaned the whole thing out and uh, set up, a built a roof over. So st- still in Hyann at this point. Still in Hyann. And we put together uh, uh, with that carpenter some more, some other uh, fermenter boxes and uh laurel wood always laurel wood we always have used laurel wood it's an inert wood with the right porosity and right density to (laughs) all right uh, mr porosity (laughs) well (laughs) if the wood is too soft and porous then the the cacao nectar saturates in there and it get and it rots but if it's too dense and it won't accept any then the stuff runs off and there's not enough air uh, oxygenation of the beans so it's yeah cool. i just have never heard the word porosity before but yes oh, no I that makes it the word porosity <laughs> what <laughs> first I mean, time i mean i don't i don't why I'm, i don't wish to speak on behalf of our listeners but i think they're going to be a little <laughs> bit surprised and disappointed the same way i am yeah so you're in this parking lot no you're in this car parking place in high end 
Right, but it's no longer dedicated to that. We cleaned it out. We took off the whole layer of, of, of topsoil that was in there that might have had cars driving directly on it. And we paved a certain portion and we cleaned up the rest and we put in a, 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 an above ground dryer bed and with a, with a, a, a solar dryer a tarp roof on it. And we put together a, a roofed uh, um, fermenting area. We didn't know about pre-drying back then. And so were you we, renting this place or did the government yeah, help you get no, this place? No, no, we were renting this place. We, we, or we were renting it. I mean, I know yes. I was sending money down, but I didn't know why. That's right. Yep. We were yeah. renting this place and uh, yeah, it had a little, it had a, uh, just a, a little two room indoor area. Um, one was for office and one was where Miguel and I slept in a bunk bed. Um, and right <laughs> Again, next- Hey man, this is real life direct trade entrepreneur stuff yeah you and this guy are sleeping on a bunk bed um in this little parking lot that you rented Mm -hmm. yeah to to just build out parking lot doesn't describe it it was really just Uh, a rectangular space with a big gate on it pardon me that's right and it had and and so the the funny thing about this and i i kind of made an interesting discovery at this at this place at our first facility so the the bathroom was another was like just an open space kind of on one side of this and it had a uh it just had a concrete slab and we just used a shower curtain to close it off there was no door or anything and there was just a uh uh you know a, a toilet in there and then a a, a, a spigot uh, with no shower head on just a pipe sticking out of the wall and just a sort of a channel on one end of this concrete slab for the water to run out from and in that channel lived a robust population of frogs. Um, they were rather large. I mean, these were frogs, maybe the size of a softball, you know, um, decent sized frogs. And there could be as many as maybe 15 or 20 of them in there. And so if you ever had to use the restroom at night and you went in there, uh, it, you, you kind of had to deal with frogs. I had a similar situation, man, at the place that you helped <laughs> at that first place that you rented us when we were, mm-hmm. when we lived out there, we also had a lot of frogs hanging out in the bathroom. It, the frogs like the bathroom. And uh, there was definitely a whole frog scenario going on in that bathroom really quite thickly. And they considered that their territory. <laughs> and sometimes they weren't real pleased with my feet being down on their floor. Um, and so, yeah. They've, um, a little frog like that jumps a lot higher than you think it would. It does. It they does. jump really high. It's a little freaky at night when you can't see them coming. Uh, and then the uh, on the other side of this, over by the fermenting cacao, was I set up an outdoor kitchen. So there was no space indoors to have the kitchen. So I, I made a couple sawhorses and I put a couple of like a half a piece of plywood and I set up on that a little gas two burner stove and there was a sink out there, which was intended to do laundry, but, and I had this, the strainer with some dishes and uh, no fridge or anything like that. And, and one thing I realized is that even though you're, even though you're sleeping inside, if your kitchen's outside, you're camping. that's that's what i learned in that little house um that and that and a one a a a two-room brick structure with a metal roof on it gets unbearably hot and that's a really hot place where where cacao grows is hot at this point when you're doing all this you still hadn't really figured out what exactly you were doing with fermenting and drying right I, no, so, I was ter- I was terrible at it. In fact, I know. A, a couple months after we built this thing, and we had our first few lots. I went over to a flavor lab in Pura, and they uh, they ran an analysis on our beans, and they were terrible. Um, yeah, and- the man, the man looks you in the eyes. He says, "Sir, come here. I want to tell you something." 
Mm-hmm. This this is the worst cacao I've ever tasted. <laughs> yeah, he didn't say that, but he he didn't say that it was good. He said, yeah, "I'm just kidding." He, he basically said, "You know, according to all our criteria, these beans are subpar," yeah. <laughs> which meant that by all the criteria, they were subpar. They they didn't pass in anyone. Area. So look, we're running out of time on this podcast, but I yeah. I just have to point out here how, in, in my opinion, how special it is, and and. What what a, a rare specimen you are, man. Uh, no, I'm just telling you, you, you're not good at this thing at all. You don't know how to do it. You've rented this little plot of land. You're you're showering with frogs. You're cooking outdoors. You're sleeping in a bunk bed with my, with my brother-in-law. <laughs> with Miguel. You guys are uh, sharing a bunk bed. You're lapping up me all day cacao off the floor. Mm-hmm. In this uh, really, really exceptionally hot jungle just town hot, in the middle of nowhere. Just on a whim, basically, that we all agreed that we thought there would be a market for this stuff if we could figure it out. That accurately describes it. When you describe it like that, it sounds fun. I think now I'm understanding why my wife was so skeptical <laughs> of this project from the start. When you say it like that, it definitely sounds like a ridiculous flight of fantasy. You, you want to know who else they were skeptical, skeptical of? You when you came down? No, Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody, great. Steve Jobs, right? Everybody. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I, I obviously I placed myself among the pantheon of Elvis and Jobs. Look, here's the Mount Rushmore of people they doubted, mm-hmm. who ended up doing something great with their life. That's right. El- Elvis, Da Vinci, yeah, da Vinci. Da Vinci. Yeah. Steve Jobs, yeah. Brian Horsley. That, those are the big four, I think. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it's just it's crazy that. That that's where that's where it all started. Not that we're some hugely well-known success story, but we do make chocolate and sell it to people, and it's really good. But it all started out with you just hanging out with using bathrooms and hanging out using the bathroom with a bunch of frogs. <laughs> that's right, and, and 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 licking up cacao nectar off the ground. Awesome, awesome story. All right, so we still have, I think, I want to say maybe five, three, three. We're not even really done with this one, this cacao process, processing facility. We still got three more to go. So I guess yeah. turn in, tune in for the next episode. And if you can think of any other funny animal stories before the next before the next um, yeah, we'll episode, start, it, it'd be good to get that queued up as well. We'll start getting into spiders and cockroaches and fuzzy poisonous caterpillars in the next episode. I know you. we've got a, a photo library of, of <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of peculiar little animals. <laughs> that you've that we've run that we've come across over the years correct Correct. yeah all right well hey oh you want to give us the 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 jingle to sign it off oh oh boy (laughs) this this has got to be the least popular part of the show all right uh here we go here's our sign off jingle everybody uh fortunato yum 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 no you're gonna just do it simple (laughs) oh okay fortunato yum (laughs) all right everybody see you on the next episode bye everybody bye